Welcome to the Sweet Fire Podcast, where we study and celebrate the lives of women who dare to let their fire light up the world. I'm your host, J.P. Mitchell, educator, author, speaker, and curator of great stories. The Sweet Fire Podcast was inspired by the picture book, Sweet Fire. Let's see what today's episode has in store. Today we have with us Chiquita Toure. With nearly 30 years of experience as an educator librarian, Chiquita Toure has served as both an English language arts teacher and a high school librarian. Her teaching experiences span pre-K to post-secondary. She has been the recipient of several grants to promote multiple literacies. Currently, she is the head librarian for grades 6 through 12 at an early college secondary school, which prepares its students to earn both a high school diploma and college credits upon graduation. Thank you so much, Chiquita, for being with us today. I really appreciate you coming to join us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I'd like to just kind of start out the way I start out with most of these interviews, and that is to ask you what resonates with you about the Sweet Fire message and how do you see yourself there? Okay. The Sweet Fire message for me, I have to say, most importantly, resonates with me because I have four daughters at different ages, different stages. And so the youngest being almost 29, the youngest is 14. And not only are they in different ages, they have different personalities, different ways of knowing the world and navigating themselves. And so people could easily label them or say she has this particular personality. But when I think about Sweet Fire, each has her own Sweet Fire within her that complements who she was created to be. And so one, I would say, would be vocally talented and the other one may not be as, you know, talented in the arts as the as the other one, but maybe she's visually an artist. So I love the message about not being confined to the labels that our society would give our girls, because that's my what I endeavor to do to empower them to own who they are and to harness that sweet fire with inside of them. Nice. So it sounds like you're saying, based on what you just said and based on what I know of your family, that art can show up in different ways in different people because you have a performing artist, you have a visual artist, you have, I feel like all of your daughters have a a way into the artistic life, whether it's literary arts. And so, but each of them, you nurture in their own way so that they can bring their unique um, contribution, their unique fire to the world. Would that be accurate? That's accurate. That's accurate. And not using the the standards of what they see others do, what's popular, mm-hmm. but really honing in and tuning in to what they have inside of them, even if it's not popular among the status quo or popular among their peers. So that's what I really love about Sweet Fire. It's a message that says, own who you are, be confident in it. And then it's important to be surrounded by people who can continue to support you and encourage you in being true to who you are. Mm, That's good. Um, And I think I hear in that, that it's not an individual effort to keep your fire cultivated, stoked and protected, that it's kind of a communal effort that we do that for one another. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's important, too, because I think sometimes as parents, we believe, you know, we want to know that we have the best for our children. But sometimes there are other adults 
who are a part of your inner circle, or some people may call it village, who may see something in your child that you may not see, or they may see a pathway into speaking with them, encouraging them. It may be a word or phrase or just spending time in their presence. And that's a pathway and a breakthrough for your child because they feel safe. And you don't feel like you have to be on all the time. Like mm-hmm. I got a parent at this moment. I got to do this at this moment. Well, but, but you will have people who come into your life who are adults who have wisdom, who are part of parenting and nurturing your children. And I think that's important because they can see other healthy adults in their lives. Wow. So you're kind of taking this, you know, in a direction that I think, I don't know that I've talked about in other interviews, but it is important, which is our responsibility as women, one to another in nurturing the next generations, that it is not a singular task for one woman to do. But you talked about this idea of the village, you you know, invoking this image of women working together and, and community members working together, not just women. We need our men. And for the record, I will just pause and say, I hope that everyone who has listened to these episodes picks up that while we are focusing on celebrating girls It is for the purpose of making sure our whole society has all the parts, all the pieces, everybody's good stuff added. This is not a message of girl power for its own sake and girls run the world. I don't believe that girls run the world. I believe we should be given our space to make our contribution to running the world, but we need, we need us all. So just saying that, you know, a little disclaimer, but what I hear you saying is that women can give one another help support, hold one another's arms up in helping to nurture and guide our girls. And that is something that we need from one another. Absolutely. Because even as parents, as a mother, you have your blind spots. Mm. And so others can see things that you may not see. I often watch my daughters around other women and see how they respond. And sometimes, you know, even though you don't want to admit it, Sometimes your children will give you what they think you want to hear, Mm -hmm. especially if you're a parent that really want to pull out the best in them. And not that they're being performative, but they're thinking, "Mm, my mother would really like this. Mm -hmm. And other times when your children are around other adults, women in particular, they will just be candid and honest and their lips will get loose. And it's okay. It's still safe. And that that woman will pick up on that, whether it's a friend, a family member, an aunt, you know, a teacher, they will pick up on that and they just pull them in. They have their own technique, their own way Mm. of pulling that in. And, And again, it's a safe environment. They don't feel like they're telling, you know, family secrets or that they're just uh, have duplicitous behavior. They're still being themselves. It's just another side of them that they release to someone else. I love that other side of them part because that is a part of this sweet fire message as well, that we have more than one side and we should not be penalized or, you know, accused for showing our complexities and our layers and our versatility, really. And I think that that's not saying that we're celebrating, like you said, being duplicitous or anything like that, but it is being allowed to be all of the parts of yourself. Mm -hmm. So if you are the girl or the woman who's always known for being responsible, and we know that being responsible is a big thing with girls in our you know, society, you are the one who always makes sure things are done and you're a high achiever and all these things. Sometimes that can become a prison and 
You don't get to just let, you know, let loose and dance or be free or enjoy mm-hmm. yourself because people are looking like, oh, you're the one who. And I think that's the one of the things that we want is for girls to be able to know themselves and then also to own the parts of themselves and know how to navigate that, whether or not other people are ready to be themselves or to see others being themselves. Yeah, that's good. I love the way you said that. And that they're growing, that each stage of their life, they're going to come into a better themselves. Mm. They're becoming more of themselves. Yes. And so parts that were not revealed are kind of unearthed in the growing process. And that takes interaction and engagement with other people to bring that out. I'm glad you said unearth because you have a book called Self-Excavation, Unearthing You. Is that the correct title? That's correct. And I think that that book is really important because your work with that book is to give space for a person to think about their life, to excavate, pull out some of the things that may be buried, good or bad, just to be able to process them, own them, put them in their place and kind of assess them. So I think that that's really powerful that you said unearth because every day of living is an unearthing process. And so I appreciate that. So that was kind of a long way in, but I really want to ask about you. Can you share some with us about who you are and ways that you touch your world? Wow, that's a great, you have some good questions. Well, thanks. The questionologist. <laughs> you came up with a new phrase. <laughs> That's a good question. Who am I? So many times before when I would be asked that question, I always start out with a title, you know, because Mm. people define themselves by title. But one of the things that I try to do in self-excavation, unearthing you, is to not use a title because a title has its limitations. But inevitably, we return to title. So first and foremost, I think that I am at the very core of me. I am an educator, a teacher. Um, and that's in all things, not just academic, but being able to share with others, but also learning from others. I, I've been that way since I was a child. I remember having dreams when I was about six or seven years old of just learning and being around other people and hearing stories. Mm. And so and and how those stories helped me to grow. So I think initially I would describe myself fundamentally as a teacher, mm-hmm. Um and I, there are other words I can, you know, I'm an excavator, like, but not just excavating myself, but helping others mm-hmm. to really find out at, at the core of, of who they are so that they can function better. Again, that's the, that's the essence, not to put yourself on a pedestal and say, I found out I can do this really well, but so that you are the best of who you can be, that's that good. you are reaching your very highest potential, not to be performative again, but that you owe that to yourself and those you love, and really to the world, mm-hmm. to the to be the best of who you are, because everybody wants to be, wants to know that they were here, that yes. they made a mark, that they made a difference. And so fundamentally, I would say, I'm a teacher, I'm an excavator, I am a writer, I love to write. And of course, being a school librarian, I read a lot. Mm-hmm. So those are titles I would describe myself. And I really negotiate and navigate myself around those words, how I see the world. That's good. So I want to take a pause from the normal questioning that I have to kind of dig in specifically to what I know about you. So there was something you said that made me think about the way we show up in the world. And 
our dignity and our sense of self. I don't remember what it was exactly that you just said, but it made me think about a separate conversation that you and I had just had probably yesterday where we were talking about the African-American tradition and what it looks like for us as a people through time to show up in the world and what we may have lost in this current generation when it comes to how we step out of the house. And I I, want to just speak to that because I think that Currently, when you see people coming out of the house in their sleeping clothes or their sleeping gear, you know, pajamas, house shoes, bonnets, these kinds of things that that we talked about, what they're trying to do, I think, is lay claim to their identity and lay claim to their power. But they're doing it in a way that's kind of divorced from our legacy in terms of the dignity part or in terms of the pride in the way we present ourselves. So can you just speak a little bit to that? Mm -hmm. Because it's kind of a lot, there's kind of a lot wrapped up in there, like identity, you know, respectability, politics, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just the whole idea of having some respect about yourself, like our people Mm -hmm. in the South used to say. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So can you say something about that? Yeah, I think, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up about respectability politics, because I think that, what happens is every time we the, someone gives birth to a new word or they rephrase it or develop new language around something, you got to be careful how people use it. I, once I was reading this article about how language is violence and how people can use it as a tool for violence. Mm. So sometimes when people are speaking not their truth, but what they know to be a reality based on some fundamental things, mm-hmm. people can use language as a tool of violence to shut them down. And I think sometimes if we're not careful, we throw out words to get people off balance mm. so that we can just approve of everything. And we can't. I mean, when you think about an anchor, an anchor is to keep you rooted. If you think about a foundation, if you think about a platform, because oftentimes I talk to young people and, I, and I'm, I go, what are you anchored in? And what's the purpose of an anchor? You have to be anchored in something or rooted or grow deep roots into something so that you're mm-hmm. not waving to and from. You become kind of schizophrenic in your thinking or you don't really stand for anything. Mm-hmm. And so I think in the process, I'm really trying to dig out culture, the definition of culture and how we see it. But I think what has happened with each generation there's there's this yearning to redefine mm-hmm. what culture is, to redefine who we are as people of African descent, but it's devoid of a foundation and an anchor. And I think mm-hmm. the anchor has to be there. And I think each generation um, is adding to it, expanding it, but you don't get to come in and displace it. Mm-hmm. Like you get to come in and stand on the shoulders of those who laid a foundation and you can add to it, expand it and grow it and help it to be more meaningful but to dismantle it is disrespectful. Mm. So I think there are fundamental things in our culture that serves as a foundation that's good. It's good soil. Mm-hmm. It's good soil. And the seeds have been planted. And so you can grow from it. You can learn from it. But to come in and dismantle it and try to uproot it and plant something else that's wishy-washy, that has no foundation, that's not rooted in anything, mm. Is, is again, disrespectful. And so I say just to the conversation we were having yesterday, it's not about respectability politics. It's about what do you believe about yourself? Mm-hmm. Have self-respect, right? Define who you are. And so when you go out to the world, it's not just you. You don't exist in the silos. You're tethered to communities and people 
who have paved the way for you and you don't have to perform for them, but at least be a light mm. of that community mm. and show up as your show up as your best self, if at all possible. So there are some young ladies in our communities who go out into the world in their pajamas, their bonnets, their house shoes and say, I finally get to be my authentic self. I'm I'm being myself. And I hear you saying, be yourself, baby, <laughs> be yourself. But do it in a way that can also bring a positive reflection on who you are and who we are. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And not to show off for other people, for yourself, Mm -hmm. for yourself, for yourself. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. That's a part of owning your fire is Mm -hmm. the responsibility that comes with it. Not just to say, I'm a flame. Right. You take me as I am. It's not that. <laughs> you have rights, you have privileges, but you also have responsibilities. Yes, because you if know. you're a fire and you just go out blazing, you can burn up the whole entire community. <laughs> right. We're not going for that. Right. That's not the sweet fire. Right. <laughs> okay, very good. So can you think of a turning point in your life when you decided to own the unique power and purpose that is in you? Oh, wow. I probably have had several. And you know what? That's interesting. You're asking this question. I was thinking about this the other day because my my eighth grade teacher, she and I are still we still keep in contact through social media. Mm. And so I was thinking about the very first time I performed a poem that I memorized. Mm -hmm. And it was simply because she had asked if anyone wanted, you know, wanted to share something. And so I remember performing that in my class and it was Mother to Son by Langston Hughes. And I just, just researched that poem and I just love that poem. And so I remember performing that for my eighth grade class. We didn't switch classes like the typical junior high schools now. She taught all subjects. That's how bad of a teacher she was. But Mm. I performed that poem and I remember looking out at the faces of my classmates and how that poem really impacted them. And I remember saying to myself, wow, that I did that like Mm. that's inside of me. And so from that point on, I remember just reading a lot of poetry and letting the words like wash over me and how I can bring the words to life. And so from there, it was so many other poems. I mean, mm-hmm. it was Maya Angelou. It was, you know, Nikki Giovanni. It was Paul Lawrence Dunbar. Wow. It was just, but that was a turning point for me to know that, that I had something inside of me that I could share with others that I didn't know what was inside of me before. Wow. Yeah. So, wow. So what I'm taking away from that is that it's not just that you know how to read words on a page or that you know how to bring a poem to someone that they might not have been aware of, but you added to the recipe some part of you, some fire, some passion in the, you know, description of the characters as you use their voices or the inflection of your voice or the way you looked at the audience, you brought something particular that was of you to this reading. And that's what they connected to, not just the content of the words in the poem. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Because if I recall, that poem was actually in a textbook. So we all had read the poem, but I just decided I want to read this poem and see what it would sound like being her. Sometimes we read just the, I don't know, the process of reading, reading aloud to bring it to life. We had all read it silently, but I wanted to know, could this poem empower? Like, 
what would happen, like you said, if I use inflections, if I, you know, put my hand on my hip, if I thought about all the mothers who were speaking to their son, if I thought about all the sons and where they were and how mothers encouraged them and how setback, you know, was not the finale Mm -hmm. that the mothers could be inspiring. And so I'm going to put all of that into my body Mm -hmm. and then I'm going to perform this poem. And it was, I think at that time I was just like, wow, I just did not expect people to respond like that. I just didn't. But at the same time, it was kind of like I was outside of myself watching myself. Like, is that me? (laughs) Wow. You know, it's kind of weird to describe. I love that. I feel like there's an, the word that comes to mind for me is awe. When you have an awe inspiring moment that involves you, when there are things in you that God put there that you didn't even know were there to that extent and you see how people respond. And I've heard a lot of people say that pay attention to how others respond to you. And so it's not that you are performing for other people, but because we don't live in a vacuum and because we all need one another, we serve as mirrors to each other. So when you see mm-hmm. in the mirror of someone else's response, what your impact is on the world, it starts to speak to you like, wait a minute, there's more impact than I realized was there. Yeah. And so I really love that. So this leads to the really the reason why I wanted to talk to you in specific. And it is, I'd like to ask you your thoughts on being a person who sparks the fire in other people through literature and through the writing life, the the literate life. What can you say to us about the power of that? Mm, That's another good question. I will say this. Initially, becoming a school librarian, I was really hooked in and fell in love with the written word. You know, I was always a writer, but I don't know that I always made the connections that I could have my students use writing as a pro- to process what they had read mm-hmm. and to expand it. Mm-hmm. And so for me, when I helped to awaken that inside of them, those people begin, those young people begin to see the fire inside of themselves. Mm-hmm. So much so it encouraged them. It built their confidence. They wrote about things they normally would not speak. Wow. And not that these were things that were just confidential, but things that were what they were feeling. And again, going through that process of of taking students from reading texts, seeing whether or not they could see themselves in the text, whether or not they were looking, you know, through a window to see other people and empathize with them because Mm -hmm. text helps us to empathize, but that they could take those words and mesh it and merge it with the words that were inside of their heads and just be really raw and authentic with their words has been you know, I say it all the time, transformational. I don't know that I've seen it before where you have, you know, writing sessions with young people unless it's like at a camp or something like that. But in my library, I have writing sessions, reading writing sessions with young people Hmm. where sometimes there are tears of joy. There are tears of sorrow or grieving. There are moments Hmm. when there's nothing, but you can hear the breathing. Hmm. And in those moments, it's like, it's like this this is real stuff right here. Like this is real. And so I just really enjoy just feeding them the knowledge that they need to know that there's fire inside of them, that they can release that through the power of the pen. Mm -hmm. And even when they speak it to share it with others, sometimes there are pictures, 
Sometimes they're reflecting on family, good times, not so good times. But each one knows when they leave sessions that I have something very special and unique that's inside of me. Wow, that's powerful. So I think that kind of leads me to my final question, which is the, the initial question says, what is one thing you wish society would say more to our girls as they develop? But I want to add another layer and say, what is one thing you wish society would say more? And I'd like for you to say it through the lens of a literate leader, a literacy Mm -hmm. leader. What do you want our girls to know from that realm, Mm -hmm. that vantage point? I, you know what? I'm really been reading a lot about intelligence, Hmm. brain power. And so that's something that I really wish that our society would lean more into seeing intelligence and, and mindsets and, and, and growth mindsets, reading, writing, literacy as something beautiful. Something that is beautiful, that it's not just about the physical expression of beauty, because, you know, beauty is an eye of the beholder. But beauty is still beauty is within and it can be the a way of thinking can be beautiful. Wow. I love that. A way of thinking. And I don't know that I see people say that our young girls, that their minds are beautiful. Mm. Wouldn't that be something to say, oh, I love your mind. You have a beautiful mind. You know, I love that, but I don't hear enough people saying that by by men or women. But I think that if a young if if young women heard that or girls heard that more so that I love the way you process that. I love the way you think. I love the way that you thought about it. Then you wrote about it and then you processed it again and then you went back. So I love the way that you speak. I love the way you think about things. I love I love how you read and you connect with characters you know, I love how you developed, you know, the plot line for your story. And so for me, I really would love our, our society to see women as thinkers, as intellectuals, mm-hmm. and to see that as a beautiful thing. Yeah, that's, that's my beautiful. goal. Yes, <laughs> that's beautiful. And I think on that note, I want to sincerely thank you for your time and for your thoughts. You, my friend, have a beautiful mind. Oh, and you do too. (laughs) Well, thank you. And so I really, really appreciate you. So thank you for joining us today. All right. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. It is our hope that you have been inspired, encouraged, and most of all, empowered to keep letting your fire light up the world. See you next time.